We are broadcasting here live from the ancient spice roots, uh, roots traveling in a fried out combi on a hippie trail, head full of zombie. I met a strange lady. She made me nervous. She took me into her art shed and gave me breakfast. <laughs> I'm Mad Crow. I'm uh, Normal Andy. I'm producer Chris. And uh, I'm yeah, and this is welcome to the Archit. And we're here, Chris. You want to introduce the guest? Yeah, we're here with Shoebox for uh, part two of our uh, discussion about. We started out talking about spices. We're going to talk more about spices and just uh, just general stuff in general. I thought we decided we weren't doing part twos anymore. We're just doing two. We are. So, okay. Well, this is our second talk with Shoebox. <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> Wait, when did we want... decide we weren't doing part twos? Well, because uh, this is the thing is I, I don't want people well, to be like, yeah. oh, I have to go back and listen to part but, one. But I think right. the spirit of it is that they're standalone. Yeah. Yeah. That's... So, yeah. I mean. This is like the reboot. The shoebox interview reboot. What do, we, what do we say? What do we call it? I think we've done it. I think we, yeah. What do we say? It's a part standalone two. <laughs> standalone. <laughs> Electric boogaloo. <laughs> so, so uh, I'll just go in with the first uh, question. So this, so shoebox. I'm sure a lot of our listeners want to know. How do you create a spice company? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I think um, I think a lot of people dream of being their own boss at some point, or what it would be like to run their own business. I, I certainly is one of those. I um, I kind of got into this in, in a bit of a roundabout way and then sort of a direct way. I I would say I mostly went through like a crisis of what am I doing with my life in my mid-30s where um, professionally I did not feel that my career path was aligned with any of my sort of goals or what I wanted to do with my life and struggled with what I was going to do with that. And while I was going through that, a friend of mine um, was really looking to start a business. And he had this idea to start a spice business and knew I really was into food and cooking and approached me. And um, I just decided like, yeah, like, I love spices. I, I like cooking. This could be really cool. I mean, the reality is then I started a spice business. And when I look back on it, I knew so very little about spices. I mean, I knew basic things. I knew how to cook. Um, but there's just so much out there. And beyond that, I knew next to nothing about running a small business and what it really takes. And um, I guess the last eight years for me have been a huge crash course in learning all the wrong things to do and 
stopping doing those and, and learning better ways to do things. All the while, I think the one thing that I did get to do and continue to do is just um, fuel this passion and um, really be on a quest for for knowledge. And now, I mean, it is very rare for someone to come and ask me about the spice and me not know about it. And that feels, you know, that feels good. But I'm still always learning new things um, about about spices, about people, about myself, about accounting, about <laughs> how to send a good email. You know, it's, it's all over. <laughs> Dude, but, you know, when I when I started Finch and Chris, I mean Chris was through all, you know, has, has known me through every iteration yeah. of, of what I've done. Yeah. I, I started with a brick and mortar store, hmm. which sounds really uh, romantic and great. Like you think of yourself as like the shopkeep and you're sweeping the floors and, you know, it, it's just a great dream, but it was a terrible idea and a money losing proposition from day one because, Retail is really expensive and you got to be there all the time, whether people come in or not. And um, my retail experiment pretty much failed after two years. We just couldn't continue. Even as we finally started to do okay, like rent was going up and it just wasn't going to, it was just not going to work. And I um, either had to close the business down or pivot. And I decided to pivot and evolved it by, um, moving into farmers markets and doing things that were lower overhead, but still allowing me to continue to build the business. And um, and then um, I really got into getting online and selling our product online. And and that's what now where I'm at is I would say. 95% of my business comes from an online transaction at this point. So and that's, that's the long and, and long of it, I guess. <laughs> and are you, I mean, I know, you know, you fulfill orders through your website. Do you also yeah. do Amazon or any other yeah. parties? To yeah. Help? yeah. Yeah. I sell on Amazon and we sell on Etsy and we sell on eBay. And, okay. um, you know, for a long time, Amazon was like my, like Amazon really helped me, uh, get in front of a lot of customers real quick. Like we, we started to really gain some traction when we started selling on Amazon. And, um, but really recently we're starting to see our, you know, we're selling more on our website than any third party site, which is a really good trend trend for us. Um, we still have those third party sites. They're great. They bring us in, they do a great job of um, marketing for us and bringing us in front of new people. And I always kind of like one of, you know, we have good product and one of our problems always was just, you know, you just got, I just need people to try it once and they'll, they'll come back. And it, that takes time. You know, I think for us, that's just taken a long time to sort of snowball. You know, now we have a, we have built that customer base and people that shop with us tend to shop with us again. So, um, no, that's, that's just kind of where we're at. Uh, ha, has the business changed a lot, uh, due to the pandemic or has it like, like um, how, how has that changed things? 
Yeah, I think, you know, for us, we're in a really fortunate position that being an online company, I think also being, um, you know, when people started to quarantine, one of the first things they start thinking is, I need to cook at home. Like right. a lot. Yeah. yeah. And for many people, that's a new experience. Or I think a lot of people do that, you know, are like amateur home chefs. When you, it's like, okay, I work from home now. It's like, this is a great opportunity to cook that meal I've been thinking about cooking for months. Like, I'm going to like get all these crazy ingredients. Um, so we saw for um, when COVID hit, um, we've seen a lot of growth, actually. And I mean, I, I remember when the, like the first lockdown started happening on Amazon, actually, we... I sold like, I think it was like, I had about a hundred or 150 pounds of garlic granules in, in Amazon warehouses. And we sold out of that in a night in four ounce quantities. What wow. is a garlic people, granule? Yeah. Cause people were like, Oh, I need, and they couldn't. And then it's like, and, and supply chains got really messed up at first. But the way we source is a little different than a lot of like, bigger companies so we were okay and i mean i there are times throughout this year that i've struggled to like keep some stock and i've had to order a little differently and learn some lessons that way but um we were able to really maintain a lot of our supply chain and and we've done we've done well with it we've also um taken it as an opportunity to connect with a lot of our customers and like my my partner who does all our, a lot of our marketing and she's a lot of, quite honestly, a lot of the brains behind what we're doing these days. She like, she made like a quarantine spice pack with fun names and we've had some fun with it too, just because I think people need that and people have really responded as well. So yeah. and, you know, thankfully for us, and I, I feel really fortunate and I am really humbled by like the, the idea that we, we are like part of all these people's kitchens that are going through this and we're all going through it, you know, no matter what. Um, but we've, we've been able to weather it and, and actually really thrive during COVID. That's great. That's awesome. That's yeah. Awesome. I mean, it's, it is really, I mean, cooking has really just taken off. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> incredibly. It, yeah. It's wild. Um, yeah. But it is, yeah. I mean, it can, um, you know, working from home is something that, you know, you can, make yourself lunch and then, you know, start a stew or start something right. that you're going to be in the house and you can just kind of like peek in on it while you're still on a conference call or, you yeah. know, and just tur turn it down a little bit. Okay. We're good. You know, Chris, you'll appreciate this. Like I also like am selling larger quantities of things that are a little different. Like I sell sarsaparilla and quassia and these are all like um, things that are used to make, like um, tonics and homemade sodas. I sell yeah. a bunch of wormwood. Like people are making their own malorts and like, so it's like stuff that like, I think a lot of like projects that people are kind of experimenting right. with. We saw like uptick in, in those kind of ingredients as well. And I, and I think it really speaks to that. Like ah, I'm at home, I'm, I'm going to try out making that root beer I've always wanted to make or... <laughs> so, yeah. so this is funny this is funny shoe bucks i have sass, uh, sassafras 
growing all over my yard. Like seriously, like tons of sassafras. Yep. Oh, you got to hook me up, man. <laughs> and, uh, I know, and, and they grow. They're like a weed around here. Really? Yeah, yeah. Well, you it's know, the, the um, I cannot get my hands. I, you know, sassafras is like sort of two things. One, the leaf, like sassafras leaf. When you dry it and grind it up, that's um, also known as gumbo filet. And it's sort of the thickener and like oh, finisher of gumbo. Of it. It's all over the freaking place. We'll dry some out and grind it up and make some filet, man. Yeah. <laughs> then the root is used for making, you know, most commonly root beer, but is, I honestly right now do not have a supplier and, and don't foresee being able to get it. It has also some um, legal kind of like there are some legalities with sassafras that are a little weird. A lot of it has to do um, with just like old root beer when root beer kind of switched to being made mostly with corn syrup. They wanted to get rid of the natural root beer. And so the FDA did all these weird tests with rats like where they would like completely overdose them with saffarol saffarol i think it is that's like the extract of it and like it would get cancer so it was like well you can't use that root beer you have to use this like sugar product um and then there's some other more nefarious like uh illicit drug connotations to it as well so i it's kind of hard like it's a it's a weird thing so it's it's cool that you have some growing maybe we should talk it's all over the place. It's all over the place here. It's like, well, I live near a lake. I live in the sticks. You know what I mean? Okay. Like Lake Masbanak. There's like tons of freaking sassafras growing everywhere. I walk down the street. It's like a three-leaf uh, plant, you know, like a, it's a tree. You know, huh. and, and you yeah. cut it down, it grows back. Nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's tough. I remember my parents here had, had a lot of it, and it was they were really happy when they finally got rid of rid of them for good. Rid of, yeah, so it's like yeah. a nuisance plant. Yeah, because you do you have to dig the whole root up. You can't just cut it down and say like there it's gone. It's like no, it's dormant. You know, it's like that root's <laughs> gonna come back. It's I had the same issue with. I I was worried about. I grew hops, and I was worried about them doing well, and they just oh my god, they took over the yard. It was insane. <laughs> the yeah, first man, couple of like years. A, a wall of hops. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was more than I could ever possibly use. And it was, uh, yeah. We'll, we'll see what happens next year. It's, I know I gave a bunch of them to quenchers. I tried to dig up all the, yep. you know, kind of root crowns and everything and get rid of every piece of root that I could. Man, Chris, and, I, rem- uh, oh. I remember when we planted those original hop biosomes. Right. Rabbit yeah, on. yeah, it was a while ago. That was, man. But yeah, and you saw too, but it was like after they took off after a few years, that whole wall was just nothing but hops. Yeah. Just, they were everywhere. So, so um, on the subject of, of nuisance plants that are also uh, spices, uh, and I know um, you, you may have these too, Carl. I know, Chris, you go harvest them up on the uh, Bloomingdale but is sumac yeah and, you know people i think are so used to seeing like you see sumac on the highway a lot it's like 
just kind of growing wild on the side of the road or most farms have sumac all over the place and it is it's just kind of considered like a pain in the butt but it's a great spice really yeah it's yeah, really not nice. talking about poison sumac but like sumac the tree which has that like red it's like a really distinct red um cone shaped sort of berry cluster thing and yep. um it's a very it's really prominent in middle eastern cooking it has this like really nice citrus almost lemony flavor almost in it's uh, a great spice and it grows everywhere around here yeah um, exactly. but most people just consider it like junk or like in the way yeah exactly it's um staghorn sumac is the type yeah. um that grows and it's so distinctive it's like it's not like a mushroom where you think oh this will be delicious and it's poison it's really <laughs> distinctive you know what it is yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not poison <laughs> yeah yeah so so shoebox me and my buddy uh he was from china back in the 90s we traveled through spain and we got to malaga and malaga is like the tip of spain and we wanted to go to morocco but but my my buddy Chichoy only had a Chinese passport, so he couldn't get over. So uh, I never made it to Morocco. And I yeah. heard you went to Morocco in search I, of spices. So tell I, us I about have, that. I, I have not been to Morocco, although it's really high on on my list. Um, and uh, but I have done um, I've done India and um, Sri Lanka. We talked about that a little bit, but. Um, we had some great adventures doing uh, hunting spices and hunting good food in in those areas. I have like um, it was just such a it's it's I think one of the big dreams I had in getting in this business, kind of going back to the start of our I guess we call this we don't call it part two, but whatever we're doing right now, you know. And, um, we do it. <laughs> Standalone two. Right. At the beginning of the electric boogaloo, um, you, guys, you know, we were talking about what got me into this business or like what it is to start a spice business. I think um, the, you know, the big dream I have is to just be traveling as much as possible on the hunt right. for spices. Uh, the reality is that's that's not my day-to-day -day <clears throat> life, but it is a part of it and it's a growing part of it. And I, I had a, a great um, spice adventure in um, both India and Sri Lanka. I think in India, we did a lot more just kind of going and look like checking out. I did, you know, a lot of times, you know, anywhere you go, when you're traveling a lot of times as like, you know, I'm, I'm six, one blue hair or, or blue eyed blonde hair, <laughs> blonde hair, you know, and I, I stick out, you know, so like in India, like everywhere I go, people are like just trying to sell me something or get me, you know, like just trying to work. I get it. You know, like I, 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 I'm a good, you know, like someone that you might be able to get something out of and that's just how, how it is. But um, I had a really good time just getting deep into some of the markets and um, you know, we were talking about the Kubeb. Like I learned to start asking for really rare spices 
in either Hindi or Arabic. And that would kind of work me through stalls to get the like the right person to talk to and had some really fun times. And, you know, here's an interesting thing is like in, in India and also this, it was in Sri Lanka. Is if you're, you're sitting down to like um, really start to, to connect with someone and maybe talk about business, a really common thing to do is then to have this drink, which is basically warm buttermilk with spices in it. And it's like, I mean, you're oh. in, you're in like, <laughs> it, we're in like Southern India. It is, I don't know, like 95 degrees, 95% humidity in like here comes this like kind of <laughs> thick curdled warm <laughs> funky <laughs> don't yeah. they put marijuana in their milk too what's that don't they put marijuana in their milk too i don't i don't believe i don't know <laughs> yeah but, so, but yeah so i can't it, imagine that like you're sitting there in those temperatures and just being like you know it would quench my thirst right now yeah. <laughs> a nice big glass of warm buttermilk yeah it's quite yeah. the experience but you know it's <laughs> the same point you don't want to you don't want to be offensive and you want to like i, I want to connect you know i want to see what we can do i want to i'm i'm on i'm on the like hunt for who's got the best places wherever I am and I want to meet them and I really do want to connect with them. So I'm not going to like turn it down. Um, you know, so I drank yeah. a lot of warm buttermilk on my, yeah. <laughs> 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 which is an acquired taste. I will say that. <laughs> I can't say I ever had it before. And we were touring organic farms which was really cool. It's first of all, like it's a little bit scary. Um, we were talking about this in the, in the break, but Sri Lanka is the number one place to die of snake bite. Snakes. <laughs> yeah. So snakes, there are uh, a lot of snakes in Sri Lanka. And, um, when we went to, to go visit some of the farms there and we, you know we were going around with one of my contacts who's now kind of a friend of mine but um we're on this farm and the, the farmer is uh, uh speaking to to my contact and uh, they're not speaking english but he is very clearly saying like serpents and kind of pointing all over and i i look at uh i look at like i can just see him and he's scared and the other guy we're there with is scared i look at my girlfriend i'm like oh like there's obviously snakes everywhere here and we're about (laughs) to walk around in like a king cobra infested uh jungle (laughs) but it it, it was so cool and you know and and it's funny one like one other thing about the snakes like when we were in india and walking around we we were up in um we were in uh kerala and going on a hike and these guys were all talking and and they're like yeah there can be some snakes around here and this one guy's like, yeah, I mean, we've got some cobras, but it, it's not like when you're in Sri Lanka, 
And, and Megan and I looked at, and like, a like both of us looked at each other then and were like, Wait, we're going there next. <laughs> you know, um, but still we had like, it was so cool to just be on this farm and really see where like that farm that we were on is, uh, I, I import spices from them to this day. And, and there's, I, I, I have uh, quite a, a thought about it and, of course, then we, we drank some more warm buttermilk with them. And then the other <laughs> thing there at that farm, because they are really proud about what they've done with their farm, and they're extremely proud about their water. Now, when you go, you know, you were said you were traveling a lot, Carl and Chris. I know you have, Andy. I, I don't know if you've traveled a lot, but I've, I've when you, a little bit. when you go to other countries, especially places like, let's say, India or Sri Lanka, you are advised not to drink water because, like, you'll get sick. Your your stomach's not used to it. Well, we sit down, and, and what is it like with my warm buttermilk? What else do they pour me? A tall glass of water. <laughs> now, what do you do? Like, do you um, say, like, no way I'm not drinking the water? Or do you say, like, all right, like, let's do it? You um, pretend to drink it. Uh, that's a that's a good option. You know, <laughs> Megan and I both drank the water, and I will say this: we didn't get sick at all. That's great. But I think yeah. it's because it was you know it's well water, it's spring water, and it's like they said, like they are like this is safe water. So an interesting experience being on the farms for sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, sounds intense. Did you ever actually see any snakes? You know, and here's the kicker on all of that. The only time we ever saw a snake in any of those travels was like the, the like snake charmer, like tourist trap things. Oh, okay. We never yeah. actually saw any, um, any there. It's not. I mean, it was pretty much assumed uh, that they were there, but you know, I think snakes are like that. You don't really actually see them. Um, so the reason a lot of people you. get it is they're like reaching their arm in a in, you know, a tea hedge and you can't see what's in there and you're pulling a tea right. leaf and you grab a king cobra and it bites you. And unfortunately, king cobras, when they bite you, I think, you know, you often die. Yeah. For whom the bell tolls. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Soundboard upgrades. <laughs> Carl's got new toys and he wants to play. Yeah. <laughs> From the Bell Tolls, one of my favorite books. Really? Yeah, yeah. it was pretty good. I, it was good. <laughs> I like it. It was pretty good. I'm an intellectual, unlike you, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, were there other, uh, you know, was the wildlife? I mean, just in terms, just things like birds and everything. I know you guys you oh, know, did some hiking and stuff, and I mean, yeah. yeah. And, I mean, I'm I love I'm I'm I consider myself a bird watcher. Like I bird, I've got binoculars. I don't have any tweed or anything, but I I do consider myself a birder. Uh, I spent in Chicago, Chris. Like when I I spent a lot of time birding in Humboldt Park. You'd be surprised. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> But, um, yeah, we did do, like, we did go looking for wildlife. I mean, I, that's, I love just getting out wherever I am traveling. And 
Um, you know, Sri Lanka, you can see elephants, which is kind of neat. And, yeah. Um, we saw some really cool birds. And uh, when we were in India, we were in this, like, uh, um, it's called the Temple of the Tooth. Oh, that was in Sri Lanka. We were in Sri Lanka. The Temple of the Tooth is where they say, like, Buddha's tooth is. Wow. Uh, it's a weird, you know, like there's all this in Buddhism. There's lots of like tales of Buddha traveling and there's right. pieces of Buddha all over the, the place. Uh, so the Temple of the Tooth, we were walking around there and I looked up, we like looked up and there was a bat flying over us that, I mean, it looked like a puppet to me, like out of a movie. Whoa. The thing was like so huge and like wow. not flying, but like floating, like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's like I basically I believe those are fruit bats. They're just like these huge. Fruit oh bats. yeah, yeah. How many mushrooms did you take? Uh, none. Clean <laughs> 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 <Being> and sober. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, I I hear you do something in Chicago that's called the Chididerog. Can you guys tell us about that? Yeah, I mean I think. For our listeners, I think it's uh, important to note, like, Chris and I have known each other a long time Yeah. Uh, at this point, and uh, we met just by being, you know, randomly neighbors, which uh, sometimes you just do in life. But That's how I, we met, Chris. Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> true. Yeah, right. <laughs> Chris, is this like a thing with you? You just like uh, yeah, I know. Well, I mean, I <clears throat> I still remember. Did you hit him with a uh, with a Shogun Warrior. Uh, all right, that's how I met Chris. Yeah. Okay, well, let, let, that's how I first met Andy. When I first met Carl, I was hanging out with his brother Phil in the basement, and Carl was running around in circles around the house, kicking it. And then um, shoebox. Yeah. When I met Shoebox, I, we just Wait, moved I into our window, house. Yeah, you're, yeah. Then yeah. your leg came flying through a window. I, I can, we can do the whole story, <laughs> yeah. but that's a long story. <laughs> that that was yeah. But you were just in third grade or something yeah. in the house. <clears throat> and then meeting Shoebox, I moved into my house, and I was walking out the front door and it, one evening, and he was across the street. With uh, standing with a friend around a um, 55 gallon drum with like burning two by fours in it, like scrap wood and stuff. <laughs> and I want to say wearing fingerless gloves, but I don't think he was. Yeah. But, um, I and then wear those when I ride a bike. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no. And you were just kind of like, hey, you want a beer? And I'm like, yeah. And so, yeah. So oh, we man, hung I, out. I remember that Chris story differently. I remember oh, that really? story. Very differently is actually you moved in and then very quick, like, I mean, I feel it's like you guys, it was like either the first day or, you know, it takes a while to move, but yeah, we were like hanging out, but you came out of your house with a six pack of beer and we're like, Hey, what's up? I'm Chris. <laughs> I might have. Yeah. Yeah. Kind I might have had beer already. Yeah. Kind of uh, and I feel like uh, we had so much in common and, at that time was such a, I was personally in, in such a, a period of, of experimenting and cooking and barbecue and just, 
yeah. really growing as a as a as a cook and as just what I was you know just expanding and um being around you at that time too was you were a huge influence I think we kept like pushing each other in ways to oh, like I think so, yeah. different stuff it was so cool yeah yeah no definitely vice versa here i mean yeah we were both definitely along the same because i it was the first i'd been grilling on a rooftop for about 10 mm. years and i finally <laughs> had a had a backyard and i was so proud i had like one of the old like black diamond smokers you know yep. kind of like just an offset smoker it's like yes i finally have enough space <laughs> to have one of these and a weber and this and that which is kind of funny now that I have like, I don't even know how many grills I have in my backyard, <laughs> fire pits and all this stuff. But yeah, totally. It was just kind of like, oh, you're into cooking? And it's kind of, yeah. And we were, we were just off and running. And that um, yeah. ended up one day you came by, I think it, I don't know if you asked me the night before or that morning, um, if I wanted to go grill with you to go help you grill for a whole bunch of people yeah and that that was like the second shy did a rod and they were doing it yep. in bucktown that year um yep. and so yeah that's i i have photos of it looks like a line of at least like 75 100 people waiting for a breakfast that we were grilling on this little not the 55 gallon drum what are the smaller drums like but a drum grill yep. You know, and that, From, that grill was like a city of Chicago property grill. Yes. I think it was the Department of Waters grill. Yeah, <laughs> You know, the it whole was. thing, like, um, you know, and for people, like, that are listening and, like, you know, we're kind of talking almost a foreign language at this point. Chaiditarod is uh, an annual event in Chicago. It is the world's largest mobile food drive. I believe for certainly yes. shopping cart based <laughs> food drive but um the numbers on it these days are are really like impactful in terms of how much food is raised and money is raised but it's a shopping cart race uh designed around the idea of the iditarod uh in an urban environment and um it's, I don't even know how to, to completely describe yeah. it. And, and maybe someday you guys will have the organizers of that on. It might might be fun we to talk should. about it more in depth. But that yeah. year, um, a, an old friend of mine who's who's no longer with us approached me and said, "Hey, shoe, you know, as people will say, hey, shoebox, uh, you want to like, uh, we do, would you grill for the like breakfast, you know, to, to start the event?" And I was like, "Of course I will." And I realized like there's a lot of people and um, so I asked Chris like, Hey, you want to, you know, just like you said, like, you want to come and, and grill? And um, we, I don't even, like, we didn't even bring food. They like, I think no, Tom, yeah. my buddy went and got sausage from some, like, I mean, this is like, so Chicago stuff. Like, you know, I got a guy and he went and, and he <laughs> right. had, like great sausage. And I'm serious. I think we were cooking on like the, um, Department of Waters grill. <laughs> yep. And we just, you know, we had a good time. But I think coming out of that, both of us knew we wanted to do something way bigger and more interesting. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and the thing is to to kind of flesh out Shididerot a, a bit more. It's the, the race is between different bars, 
and they have events at these bars. But the starting line is the chance where you get it's where you get a chance to see all of the carts together and they're all decorated and teams have themes mm -hmm. and you have a teams of five with four people pulling the cart and one person driving the cart. Yep. Um, and so when, and it was great. It's just this huge party and, um, Oh God, what's the name of the band that was there, um, uh, playing, um, anyways. And um, so, um, Mupa Paza, no, not Mupa yeah. Paza, um, environmental encroachment, right. Environmental encroachment. And, um, so huge party. And then every, then the race starts and everyone's gone and we're just standing in this parking lot like yeah. by ourselves. And yeah, I was just sort of like, you know, pushing the grill. I'm like, we'll chase him. We'll chase him. <laughs> and then it's like, we, you know, we started talking and we're like, well, maybe next year we should yeah. build a grill on a shopping and yep. chase them and cook for all of them. Nice. Do you and remember so that's... our first cart? We literally took a Weber <laughs> kettle grill and just welded it. You yes. a shopping cart. Yeah. <laughs> just two pieces of angle iron to extend out the front and then drop the cart in it, drop the grill in it, and tack welded that on. Look, but there's the thing. It's a Weber. I mean, we actually picked a ton of food off of that did. grill and had a, a dandy old time with it. And then the funniest thing was we had we had the second one that well we that had the cooler on it, that massive um, Yeah, we had two parts. We brought a cooler with a big putting board on it when I had all that um, Victor block. Yeah. And um, we, that year it rained and it was really cold. Like we brought a tent as well, like a right. pop-up tent. And we were like the warm, nice place to go stay dry and eat burgers and whatever food we were cooking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that, and so that was the first of what we've done 14 years now. Jeez. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, the Weber welded onto the shopping cart. I mean, I continue, like, we continued to evolve that cart. And was it the next year that we then built the second grill cart and we had two grills? Two at that grills. Point? Yeah. 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 And, <laughs> and I think soon after that, we stopped the first year we went to all the checkpoints they assigned us. Yeah. And we did it like most of the normal racers. And then rapidly within two or three years, we were like, no, we aren't doing this because our, our grills got bigger. We had multiple carts. Yeah. We were not registering like a normal team anymore. It was. Well, clear we I, I mean, we, we continually bent the rules of the event. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, it was, yeah. it was actually one of, I think for us, it was a primary focus of our cart was that it, always push the limits of the rules like they said there, there was like you can't modify the wheels on the cart we're like well we're not gonna wheel a freaking grill on fire on shopping right. cart wheels right. it's dangerous so we but like put pneumatic wheels on you know and they, they were like well you can't do that we're like okay do you want us to go home <laughs> <laughs> right Right. I mean, and I think one year, one year we did do, I think this is the second year. Um, one of the carts was a 55 gallon drum converted into a grill on a cart with regular shopping cart wheels. <laughs> and that was just that, that was like, yeah, no, no, no. We need pneumatic tires. We need real tires. And then things were really like doing nerve damage to your hands. Oh Yeah. <laughs> It was brutal and like through the city streets. And this is the first weekend of March every year. Yeah. So there's snow on the ground a lot of the time. Um, and 
then we started getting serious about food. I mean, yeah, we... that's the thing. I was just thinking, like, then, and we really, like, it's amazing to think, like, some of the stuff we have cooked on shopping carts, pizzas. Um... Yes, we built a pizza oven, a wood-fired what? pizza oven on a shopping cart. And <laughs> Out of a could... file cabinet. Uh, yes <laughs> out of a file cabinet that's right a file cabinet and fire bricks and a pizza stone and then we had all this like oak and an axe and the stuff to split the oak with as yep. we traveled around and um we turned out 88 pizzas that year and then um dennis did the strombolis strombolis well. i mean yeah. i've every time i've done chididerot i always make a ton of homemade sausage but like we really, I think that's, it's, it's always been such a fun venue to try to cook like great things on a shopping cart. You know, we're always, we're always like pushing the envelope of what we can do. We've had like seafood years and like, yeah. um, you know, try, always like fun themes. I, you know, I, it's harder for me, like this year I was really sad I couldn't, get up there now you know i don't live in chicago anymore i'm i'm in louisville and uh i wasn't able to get up this year i'm you know i don't know what next year is gonna be like and it also yeah yeah it must have been a weird year because covid was really getting going but it was the last i mean if covid had really taken off a week earlier there wouldn't have been a shy diderod it, it no. was that was the last thing it was right after shy diderod boom everything was shut down yeah. um and it was well this year we were mad max and what so i did cool. was i took spatchcock chickens and um <laughs> put them on crosses and suspended them over a fire at the front of the cart so like in mad max where they had the guys who were like the captives were on the front of the cars <laughs> right you know like being tortured and strung up on a cross and uh, leaning off the front of the vehicles we had two chickens like that off the front yes and then we had like sausages and we had all this other stuff we were grilling too but we were we were pushing the cart around the city with a fire going in it and the two chickens hanging over the fire chris i've got a question for you i mean and and i think people that have listened a bit know your handle is live fire cook and um for people like like live fire cook means like cooking over just open pits of flame. Is Chai Diderod like an influence to you on, on that cooking method? Like, is that something that guided you into cooking that way? A lot? It definitely, um, it helped me to crystallize kind of menus. I started doing that right off the bat. The yeah. biggest thing I think that it helped me do was, um, gave me a lot more confidence in building my own grills and building my own devices. Yeah. And it really gave me an attitude of like, if I was cooking something um, on a smoker or on a grill or on a fire pit or whatever. And I was like, I have an idea. I should do this. I was like, Oh man, you know, I could weld that up. I just need to cut up some metal, do this and that, and I'll just yeah. crank it out and make it. Um, and that's what Shididerod was. I mean, that was kind of like, okay, how do you cook? whole animals on a grill that's mounted to a shopping cart that you're going to push around the city. Um, and once you do that, it's kind of like, you know, just making something to grill in your backyard is, is really simple to just cut some metal and weld it or bolt it together and do whatever makes the most sense. You know, on so. top of that too, and, and 
you know, in the sort of theme of the art shed, some of these grills that we have made and carts we have made are are absolute sculptures in their own oh, right yeah. too. We've had yeah, some like yeah. amazing things that we've we've designed into them. It's it's I look back so fondly on all of that. It's such a huge influence yeah. on me as a cook. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I just it's there were just such great experiences doing those builds and 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 coming up with the menus and and the whole time we just had so much fun you know it's never yeah, like a exactly. stressful i mean you, you get a little stressed when you're trying to like build a grill into a, a shopping cart at the last minute to get it fine-tuned but we always did it and you know during the event i think and we just have like over the years, people would just like follow us around, which basically was just from right. one, from the beginning to one stop. Yeah, people basically like spend the day with us because it's like this is this is what I want to do. I want to sit around and cook and just hang out and have fun. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Hey, I think you hit. I think you hit upon the art shed right there. Like the theme of the art shed is to create something for no fucking reason. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Like, yeah. like, like for no reason, no profit motive at all. That's the art shed is to create, create, create something that you're going to put out in the world and you're just going to use your own create creativity and just, just launch it into the world. And hopefully it does exactly. something. And yes. I think that's what you guys did. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we've done it. I mean, every year we've done it. And and you're right, too, Shoebox. I mean, like, the build is a great part of it, too. It's just kind of like the month leading up to it. And even before that, just, like, hanging out with people and talking and just like, I have an idea. Or, you mm-hmm. know, I saw something like, you know, we did a Greek theme one year. We did Spanish theme. Mm-hmm. We did a tiki. We did a tiki, tiki bar. Tiki was awesome. <laughs> that, was, that was the year we named it uh, Hobo Q, because that's our team name is Hobo Q. <laughs> it was um, Hobo Q jumps the shark and we nearly <laughs> exploded that year. That was the only year we went with a, we had a wood smoker and a gas grill for, and our, um, and remember our, our carts, our carts connected and made like right. this tiki bar whole situation. Did, it was amazing. Right. Did, and we did had you tell the people, coming on. Chris, yeah. Chris, did you tell the people that you guys are actually roll, rolling grills like through the city? Right. That's the whole thing of this. That Yes, it is. It's all on shopping carts. And we really we pared it down it's slowly over time. The first four years or so, I think we started out doing the full course, yep. which was miles and miles. Oh, my God. Um, by the end of that, we would just be so. Like, oh, that was oh, that was brutal. <laughs> and then um, and then we would do like two or three stops. And finally, we just ended up just being like. I, this year we got our they give you your route at the beginning of the race because different teams go in different orders so the bars don't all get slammed with i mean there's like over 100 carts and five people per team that's 500 participants and probably five to ten times as many you know people spectators there to see yeah. the whole event yeah. um so it's it's thousands and um so they spread it out and they give you your route so that you follow a certain order. This year, our route just said number one, 
Phyllis's number two, Phyllis's number three, Phyllis's. They're like, yeah, you guys are just going to Phyllis's. And it was, Phyllis's it is a bar. A route, but we just never went on it. Exactly. Right. <laughs> yes, exactly. Why did they say, why did they like slate you guys for that? Um, well, matter. that's where we just went every year because well i mean there and they liked having us there and they also it was one of the few places that didn't serve food a lot (laughs) in the route as well so some places you know most places were actually really kind of cool we had places where the chefs came out i I remember at club lucky um that was like the the schwenker year so if people don't know what a schwenker is it's a spinning german grill that's supported on a tripod. So we built one of those on a shopping cart with a fire pit underneath it. And then a schwenker. And we did a lot of schwenking with that thing. We did a lot of schwenking. We right off. <laughs> yep. All over the city in public. And, um, but yeah, one of the owners of Club Lucky came out with some steaks to cook on it. That's right. But then there are other restaurants where there were like, there would be a manager who would be like, we sell food. You can't be giving away free food in front of our establishment. Yeah. Um, it's one yeah. thing to note is we always just gave everything away. All mm-hmm. anything we were cooking is just anyone that came by, whether they're part of the event or not, we always just give it away. Right. You, you know what's funny is when I was in Brazil, uh, you could you'd be at a bar, but you could all always buy a bar a beer off the street for like twenty five cents. <laughs> like like but they wouldn't stop like the like the random dude with a cooler. So you yeah, had be in a bar in Brazil and somebody would hand you a, a beer. You'd be in that bar and they would sell it to you for 25 cents. But in the bar, they'd be selling it for like two or $3. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> <laughs> who knows, you know, like, I don't know. I don't know if that has anything to do with anything, but I just felt, <laughs> it just came to me. Well, it is kind of true that, I mean, it's, you go to a lot of different parts of the world and it's, um, there's a a lot more entrepreneurial spirit that's kind of just happening on the streets and street carts and things like that. And, um, I think we definitely, well, there was something, I think it was on Netflix, uh, something about street food or any of the TV shows that they make about street food. It always just makes me think of Shididerod and different ideas for that. Um, Yeah. And those people are like true entrepreneurs and true artists. Yeah, yeah, it's, definitely. It's, it's hard to it's hard to cook that way. You know, you don't have yeah. it, it. It's an interesting. You know, as we're talking about, I'm thinking about it. It it really taught me some different cooking techniques because you just you can't rely on on the things you normally have in your kitchen. Like if I go to right. Chai Diderod, I bring one knife. It's a, it's like a, a 10 inch owning knife. If I can use that for anything I need to, I can easily clean it. You know, I bring a bunch of towels. We bring like, it's just like, the yeah. stuff. like you get down to the bare necessities of what you need to cook with. That's a great experience. And, and you think about when you see someone using a Kamal in, in Mexico or something. In, in Kamal. They're doing that exact same thing of just like the bare minimum of what they need to cook. And What's a Kamal? It's like a, I, I, I guess I would call it almost like a Mexican wok. 
You know, it's like a big yeah. pan that you use for cooking tacos. <laughs> but you can oh, put all the tortillas on it or like a griddle. It's like a big griddle. Yeah. That's awesome, dude. So uh, did you ever think of like buying a bar in Mexico? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. No. no. Oh, Andy, what do you think? I mean, I, I definitely not until this moment have I thought of buying a bar in Mexico. <laughs> but uh, yeah. it's definitely something I will consider in the future. Uh, I just thought of it right <laughs> I don't know. It's been a toss up for me a bar in Mexico or a roadside stand in the middle of nowhere in Patagonia. What the fuck kind of question was that? <laughs> I've been you know, I've been thinking about starting like a, a spice shop. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think we, it's random. I think, <laughs> I think we should start a spice shop in a different planet. Whoa! <laughs> Would that planet be Arrakis? Yes. yes. Oh, of course it, it would be. It Why wouldn't it be? Circle. I don't know. I'm just going to stay on Kaladin. It's going to be Giddy okay. Prime. <laughs> you and your ocean planets. Yeah, I got to I like me some water. <laughs> yeah, I like me some water too. <laughs> okay, right. so that's that's <laughs> all right guys all right guys tell us uh tell us where we can find y'all okay uh Shibash, you want to start off again yeah sure um you can find me on my website uh finchspicemarket.com and um in general if you contact us right through that website you're probably going to be talking to me so feel free to come by and ask me any questions or uh if you did hear about us uh, on on this podcast, I'd love to hear from you. And get some spices. And and actually, where uh, are you gonna buy a bar in Mexico? This is my question. I'm gonna write you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have a really good, eloquent answer. I'm sure. <laughs> Andy, where are you from? I'm from uh, Massachusetts. But uh, I also have a website called andyversteiner.com where you can find links to my Instagram, Tumblr, and Twitter. Peters? Me? Uh, I am um, at a bar I just purchased in San Cristobal. Um, <laughs> very nice views of the mountains. It's not too hot. It's a very, very good good temperate region there that I like a lot. Nice. Um, now I'm a live fire cook on Instagram, livefirecook.com, live fire cook on Facebook, live fire cook. And I'm from madcarl.com in a fucking spice region, spice mine in the fucking uh, planet of uh, Dune. And uh, you guys uh, get the fuck out of the arch yet because it's, it's flying. It's, 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 there's a blue moon going today, the full blue moon. We're one day before Halloween. And we may may all not live for another fucking presidency. So good luck, yeah. folks. We're gonna die. And uh, thanks to Thomas McBee, and uh, thanks to Andy Sinisfago and Ed Guild for this theme song. Uh, that's it, everyone. Thanks for listening. Bye. 
Wait, wait. One what? thing I gotta mention while this theme song is going low, I turned it down. Andy's been drawing a um, piece of art per every episode. So check out the art on the, in the every episode. And I, I want to announce this next time. I keep forgetting. <laughs> Sorry, Andy. Oh, it's all right. Yeah, no, your art is fucking kick-ass. While the art, while the yeah, episode no. is going, Andy's drawing. Yeah, I'm drawing and drawing. That's why sometimes I get too silent because of it. But usually, um. It helps no, that's me focus cool, on dude. the conversation. Somebody so. has to be silent. <laughs> we're all loudmouths. <laughs> <laughs>